in a world gone mad. Only rationality and common sense can save it. It's Andrew and Jerry Save the World with your hosts, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers. And now, here's Andrew and Jerry. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Jerry Save the World. I believe this is episode 15. I am Andrew Langer. Jerry Rogers. And we are going to talk about the economy today. In fact, this is going to be Andrew and Jerry Save the Economy. Uh, We're going to be joined in a couple of minutes by E.J. Antoni, who is a fellow with the Heritage Foundation and the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Um, But we got a lot to talk about. uh, We're going to talk. uh, Hopefully we'll have time at the end of the show uh, to talk a little bit about the uh, untimely passing of Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, But in the meantime, let's just get to it. And now it's time for our Ripped from the Headlines segment. Ripped from the Headlines. So, Jerry, uh, I mean, where where to begin? Um, It's been it's been a crazy week. Obviously, we're going to talk about these economics numbers. Uh, Let's start here, though, with I don't know if you've seen this piece out of the San Francisco Chronicle this morning, uh, but it was sent to me by one of our listeners. Uh, There are some serious questions being raised about Dianne Feinstein and her ability to serve. Have you seen this this morning? Well, no, but there's been questions about her ability to serve for years now because, again, she she has the uh, mental uh, acuity of of Joe Biden. Well, now it's now it's. But in, the difference here is that this is now coming from Democrats themselves. Uh, a Democrat congressperson from they've been California. trying to get rid of her for years. The irony is is that she is a left winger has been a progressive advocate for her entire career going so far back as to her days as uh, a board of supervisor, a board of supervisors (laughs) member at the, in San Francisco, she is a, she is a progressive icon and yet she is too moderate for today's Democrat party, which is crazy. And that's, that's an interesting uh, context to put it all in, because I was going to say that because she is a reliable Democratic vote on things, uh, they will continue to prop her up to advance Joe Biden's agenda. Now they want they want her. They want her out. They want a more progressive uh, a AOC type uh, to be uh, to, wow. to take her place, of course. So 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 that's so that's where so that that is where that is where this is coming from. It, it, this you know something it makes sense if this is a far left member of Congress who leaked this. I'm using air quotes for those of you who are listening <laughs> who leaked this to the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, it, you know it, this this uh, this uh, congressman was saying or congressperson was saying that they had a long ranging conversation and what they thought it was going to be a long ranging conversation with Senator Feinstein about policy. And throughout the conversation, the senator kept reintroducing herself and kept asking the same very generic questions of this member uh, about her district or his district. Who was, I think it's a she. Um, so that's so that's 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 stunning, man. So you think you think you think she's she's out. I don't even know what 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 they do. Um, I mean, I can't imagine she's going to resign of her own accord. So I guess they would that would have to force some kind of a recall, I, I, I guess. Yeah, or or she resigns. You know, this is what look the Democrats have a discipline uh, that the Republicans have always lacked, and that is they put their religiosity, their politics ahead of ahead of everything else. Power matters more than anything else. I mean, look, this is why. Remember, in you know, uh, a, a couple of decades ago, uh, Robert Torricelli, yeah, uh, running for Senate in New Jersey, 
uh, and he had some controversy, uh, was forced to step off the ticket. And then the Democrats illegally. I remember this illegally just changed put candidates. Uh, change candidates. And yeah. the, and, the, and and it was like, ah, who cares? It's about power. It, I mean, this is this is what they do. Right. right. I mean, this is hey, what, what do they in- what do they do with Joe Biden? Joe Biden. Yeah. Joe Biden was literally just propped up uh, like that, that. Uh, that former Star Trek, <laughs> yeah, John Gill, John, the John Gill episode, patterns he's, of force. He was he's just propped up, and, and so the the party machine, uh, the progressive machine, can do what they want. Look, yeah, look at Joe Biden just from the last couple of Joe days. Byron. This guy yes. does not know if he's coming or going. He gave an incoherent, at times angry, at times confused. Uh, uh, at times filled with lies, yeah. uh, talk about guns this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, so it's, it's it doesn't surprise me because it's one of those situations where, remember, this guy got elected because he was going to be the anti-Trump. And and one of the things that the Democrats and the leftist press pointed out throughout the Trump administration or Trump's term as president was, oh, yeah, Trump keeps repeating the same lies over and over again. Well, guess what? Here's Joe Biden giving a speech about guns in which he in which he repeats the same lie that has been discredited by the leftist press. Right. Which is insane. Uh, which, by the way, this is this is it, it, there are two lies in there, but the 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 factual lie. Uh, uh, is the one about cannons because you could own cannons as a private citizen. Yeah, but again, he, 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 and, and when we start talking about owning cannons, we, yeah. we lose the debate. The bottom line is this, and the Supreme Court has held this to be true, and that is the Second Amendment literally means that a citizen can be armed uh, with what a normal soldier's yeah. uh, uh, weaponry would be. Yeah. And when oh, the president's yeah. talking about how you don't need, well, uh, uh, you know, you don't need a hundred rounds to go deer hunting, hunting for deer. Yes. What he doesn't understand is that the second amendment has nothing to do with hunting. I, I think he, well, okay. I mean, again, does it really matter if he understands that or not? Either way, he, he, he is saying it as a justification. Right. And, and you know, I would just dovetail just off of this and say, yeah. What, what, what? Yeah. So I would just dovetail off of that and say the second amendment really, all it does is it gives one, one, justification for the existence of the right or the, the, the extra protection of the right to keep and bear arms, right? It, it, it's, it's not suggesting that, um, that every person is a member of the militia, therefore they need to own guns. It's, it's because absent the second amendment, the right to keep and bear arms would still exist. Sure. Um, you know, it's but again, but, but for our listeners, we, sh- we, we, we need to, because the public school system, because academia, because Hollywood, because the Democratic Party, because Republicans are feckless, uh, people don't understand what the Second Amendment allows. And it allows me the same type of weapons uh, that a soldier would have. So when if we are in a Ukraine situation, I can defend my property, defend my family and defend my nation. Well, again, I would just I, I think it's not because keeping in mind that the that the Second Amendment is a prohibition on on government and government power. It, it again, it's again, I don't want to sort of get down into the weeds here about the minutia of this. I think we have an agreement on the same thing. We're just approaching it from different perspectives here. Um, I you know, because it's it's not about what the government allows us to have. 
Um, it, it's it you know the Second Amendment exists because there was a there was a genuine fear of government power, and so you sure, have this right. But right. but again, I, I guess my point is is that um, the Second Amendment does not limit us. Uh, it doesn't allow the government to limit us uh, to uh, to a to a to a pea shooter. Well, and, and, and keeping in mind, right? I mean, in the end, as we talk about these things, we talk about the issues, and 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 Joe Biden gets wrapped around the axle, and Democrats get wrapped around the axle on the issue of so-called assault weapons, which are really just you know, only cosmetically different from regular rifles that are out there. Um, you know, the, the, we we seem to forget that that the most of the violence in America that comes from guns comes from handguns, right? Um, and and, and you know, nevertheless, it's just a very convenient pretext because the big guns. Uh, the big rifles look scary to, right. uh, you know, lefty suburban mothers who don't know any better, uh, which, which reminds me, we don't have to play it, but but I, I did set it up. Uh, Joy Behar on the uh, on the view yesterday uh, just evinced two things of stupidity. And I, I want to go here because I wound up posting about it on Twitter and I got into it with a woman from Queens last night, Jerry, um, who so Joy Behar comes out and she says that. If you got to play it. All right, then I'll play it. Uh, then hold on. I'm putting my glasses on, ladies and gentlemen. Sure, and, and while you do that, it wasn't just Joy Behar, right? It was also, who's the other one? Sonny, uh, Sonny? Sonny Hostin? Hostin. Uh, maybe, but but hold on. But 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 I, I all I have is the 30-second Joy Behar clip. So let me, uh, let me, let me, let me get this. Uh, share screen. Hello. It just demonstrates, too, that the hosts on The View have no idea about history or law or yeah. politics or any of it. Here we go. The Supreme Court is, is poised to pass a bill contradicting the New York City state laws. We have very strict gun laws here, and they would like it to be, apparently somebody has put this on their desk, that New York should be an open carry state and an open carry city. With all of the density in this city, they want people running around with guns. People, middle class people will be leaving in droves they, if that happens. They all right, will, all right, all right. I, I, <laughs> All kinds I, of wrong. All kinds of wrong. I I have I had two basic problems with this. Obviously, first is this bizarre statement that the Supreme Court is poised to pass a bill, which right. is like, right. you, you know, it, it, it. I mean, it offends me on so many levels that this person has a TV show that this person claims to that thinks that she speaks with authority, and and speaks so wrongly. I mean, right? Isn't there this old adage that uh, that the wronger you are, the latter you get. But Jerry, then there was this very strange thing that she said, and this is really what I wanted to get your take on, is this idea that that if New York City, well, first let's start with New York State were to become an open carry state, New York City were then to become an open carry city, that the middle class would leave in droves. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, first of all, middle class people are leaving in droves because of the quality of life in New York. Because, because of crime. Of because of crime. Right. And then the diehard New Yorker, right? You're going to tell me the diehard New Yorker, middle-class New Yorker, leftist New Yorker is going to be so offended that New York city becomes an open carry state that they're going to leave the city. And, and I, and I, I, I said this and, and this, this Mets fan, this Mets fan comes and, and tweets at me and says, well, you know, let's talk after uh, the, the aftermath of the, you know, the first, uh, Mets Yanks game after uh, an open carry uh, thing, and I said, you know something, if that were ever to happen, I would take that bet. I, I, I but I want to get your your take on 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 what Joy Behar had to say. 
Well, again, it's I agree with you. It's offensive, but but it's it is the norm. Most Americans, unfortunately, because our public school system has failed, uh, don't understand the separation of powers, do not understand what the legislature does, what the executive does, what the courts do. Uh, and and it, 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 again, it shows her ignorance. Uh, it's it's sad to me that the show, a show like The View is on in you know daytime prime time uh, because it's not just joy behar uh the sunny what's her name again sunny hostin sunny hostin i think sunny hostin is a legal expert uh <laughs> for abc news right for, yeah. for uh and and she was talking about uh all kinds of nonsense about gun laws and and how republican uh lenient pro-gun Republican states are the reason why oh, yeah. uh, places like New York have rampant gun crime. It's it's because of it's because of Georgia that yes. this lunatic uh, went into the subways and shot up people. Uh, it's not because he was a black nationalist. It wasn't because he's been fed racial identity politics all his life, uh, grievance politics. It's nothing to do with his mental state. It has to do with the fact that in some southern states and western states, uh, there are more uh, liberal, and I'm using air quotes now, liberal no. gun laws. No, and again, it, it just shows you that the left is not serious about anything except power. Yeah, no, and this is this is a uh, uh, obviously you know we we want to you know, what happened in Brooklyn the other day was just crazy and 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 horrific. Uh, Jerry and I had a conversation about and this predictable and absolutely predictable, and, and predictable, but also and just also just plain odd, right? I mean the the fact that there are no that the cameras were out in the subway station, the fact I mean not that we're raising conspiracy theories, but it just it just seems odd, doesn't it? Well, again, and, and, and deeper than that, it seems odd, again, that the FBI had him on a watch list. Uh, it yeah. seems, again, imagine Heather, Heather McDonald has a great piece at City Journal uh, from uh, this week where she writes, imagine if a white nationalist for years uh, preached hate and racism and violence and then went into a New York City subway. Uh, with right. uh, with with uh, with smoke bombs and guns and and other such stuff, and started shooting the place up. Where would we be today? We right. would be and, and we would be having a national conversation, a national come to Jesus about gun be, violence there would, and white listen, supremacy there would, there would, there and all the rest. Of there, it. Listen, the Biden administration would have issued uh, uh, an executive order immediately cracking down on on uh, uh, racist activity. Um, there would have been another round, I'm sure, another round of of uh, extremist uh, uh, training in the military. There, there, you know, that would have been used as a pretext to to start uh, uh, greater scrutiny of of pro Trump organizations. There right. would have been calls. There would have been uh, a white, you know, bright lines being drawn between uh, what would have happened in New York on Tuesday and uh, and what happened uh, on January 6th in the Capitol. Um, you know, it, it, the congressional hearings. I mean, yes, dogs right. and cats living together, mass hysteria. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, big news, big tech news today. Uh, uh, Elon Musk. No, you're, you're Jerry's, Jerry's shaking his head. Jerry doesn't think this is big news. Well, I mean, look, it's, it's fun. I mean, uh, you know, when I, when I was editing real clear, uh, books and culture this morning, I, I put up a, you know, a, 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 a piece talking about Elon Musk wanting to purchase Twitter but it's all nonsense. It's, it's nonsense. I'm not so sure. 
And I'll tell you why, Jerry. I have noticed since Musk bought that that share, that massive share, and began exerting pressure on Twitter, I have noticed that. But, posts but did he on, exert pressure on Twitter? I How do we yes, know that? I, 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 well, because he he is he's been talking about it, and and Twitter does not want him to buy them outright. And so all I listen, all I know is before Musk did this, I was getting very little reaction to a, a, a great many of my posts. Right. As I long point out, I'll post something about Scott Bayo or Rick Ocasek and I'll get 11,000 views. Um, I post something like uh, the Joy Behar thing and I, I will normally get nothing um, but huge, huge reactions. Yeah. Listen, again, I don't know. All I know is before Musk A and after Musk B. So uh, I am I am frankly buoyed by this because I think it can benefit me and I think I, frankly I think it's 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 much it's much to do what's the, uh, about nothing much much ado about much nothing a, much the, ado the, about is nothing the, yeah is the is the Shakespeare phrase I, I think it's um it's it's a it's a it's going to be a, a, a you know a, a thing in the news cycle for a bit um I, I mean I don't know man listen leadership comes from the top. And and between between listen between the number of lefty Twitter people uh, threatening to resign, uh, and and the you know the the as I've said you know what I've only seen from my own pieces I think that Twitter could only benefit from this. And as far as Twitter being a public square, I think that the public can can benefit from this. It's funny I don't know if you saw. Uh, the the quote from Robert Reich, the former Labor Secretary. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I saw it. What what, what they say? Well, he said he said again. that this libertarian, that essentially the libertarian vision of an unrestrained internet is the vision shared by strong men uh, and and autocrats and dictators everywhere, which is the most insane view of the world. Yeah. Our good friend, I had the same reaction that it seemed very a, a very Orwellian approach to things. Uh, the concept of war is peace, freedom is slavery. To be honest with you, I think that the libertarian vision uh, is restrictive. Uh, I have no use. And the more I read and, and my libertarian friends are going to be angry with me. I think libertarians are the worst thing in our public debate. I think they're worse than progressives. I understand. I understand this. But the, I'm not the, even sure if Elon Musk is a libertarian. Well, I, mean, I don't know like, if Elon Musk is. I'm not sure that I don't know if Elon Musk is a libertarian either. And I, I think that's neither here nor there. I mean, we, 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 the, the point is he wants to take a what is essentially a free speech platform and make it a free speech platform. Um, I, I think where our libertarian friends and brothers and sisters miss out is they uh, they confuse um, the, the, the big business uh, with freedom. Right. And they and, and they they forget that cronyism. Can I, I, exist. I think they confuse their desire to have limitless sex and do all kinds of drugs with with public policy priorities. I, I you know, I, I, I'll say it now. I, I'm, I'm so I, I almost called you yesterday. Uh, so the bulwark yes. uh, did a piece yesterday, essentially saying that, you know, Republicans are taken over by the Trumpists and that there are no more good Republicans. The same the same trope, the same nonsense. And 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 and, uh, you know, the Q, the Q on on. How do you pronounce it? QAnon. QAnon. Again, again, I don't even know what the hell this thing is, but yet I'm accused of being being one of it or adjacent to it, like you say. But again, I, I read this piece 
Uh, and uh, it was it was tweeted out by our friend Wally Olson, who I think has lost his mind. Um, uh, and the bottom line is this. And Wally, God bless you. <laughs> uh, but uh, this piece about how uh, the conservative response to the Repu- to the Florida bill, uh, the tra- parent transparency bill that the left has called don't say gay. This is now evidence. The fact that Republicans have pushed back against this is evidence that Ron DeSantis, that the Republican Party, that we are captured by the Trump extremist, and that if you if you opposed this, uh, uh, if you if if you oppose the opposition to this bill, you are no better than the wackiest of the wacky Trump. And who wrote that? Who wrote that for Robert? Um, uh, it begins with a T. I don't know. I, I and this is the problem is that is that unfortunately there was a really great piece written yesterday at the Bulwark by somebody named Kathy Young. Uh, about the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And it's one of Tra- these things where I'm sitting- Robert Tra- uh, Trasinski? I don't know, Robert Trasinski. I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, but, but again, the, but this very- piece even went worse because it also then right. talked about how, um, it talked about this issue, essentially it talked about, uh, uh, like if 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 the left says don't say don't say gay and, and the right pushes back about, you know, uh, grooming, it, it you know it 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 excuses the left and its hyperbole, uh, but the right for some reason can't play by the same rules by which we're getting beat sure, uh, every course. day. And and I get that. Listen, Jerry. Unfortunately, we've got to go to oh, our, yeah. our guest. It. It's it's now time for expert advice. Expert advice. Well, welcome to our expert advice segment. We're joined today. I'm very excited about this guest. He came highly recommended to us. I've read his stuff. Uh, at the Heritage Foundation and uh, uh, formerly at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. His name is E.J. Antoni. Uh, He's a research fellow for regional economics in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, E.J., listen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, So the Biden administration is telling us that the economy is great. I'm not feeling it. How about you? (laughs) Yeah, you and and pretty much the entire middle class and and even a good portion of the rest of the country too they're not they're not feeling the joy either they're feeling the pain now, frankly i would love to see this data that the administration supposedly has that tells them that the economy is is doing so well uh, it, actually if we look at just what popped this morning on on the retail numbers they were awful not only did they miss expectations in terms of the headline number but then if you adjust those monthly gains for inflation it turns out that retail sales are actually going down so the dollar amount is going up, but in terms of the amount of actual stuff that's being sold, that is declining. That's crazy. I mean, I, it so, was crazy. So, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jerry. They're 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 using the inflation crisis, uh, and and <laughs> and they are misreporting the data to show uh, that things are going well. Like uh, we know that real wages are uh, are falling. Uh, we we know these things are true, but because of inflation, uh, you know the, the wages are higher. It's 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 worse than if you if the three of us were to plot a movie. Yeah. And 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 the government was trying to trick the people. Gaslight. That's what's going on here. There's an economic gaslighting happening. Absolutely, real wages. I just did the calculation on Tuesday with the latest CPI numbers. Real wages have fallen 4.5% under this administration. That may not sound like a lot, but when you're talking about a family 
that was already living on the margin, I mean, that's pretty devastating. You're talking about deciding whether I fill up my gas tank or whether I stay current on my rent and credit cards. Yeah. That's not a good situation to be in. You know, I mean, it, frankly, that frankly, we're on the path to insolvency for a lot of households. That 4.5% drop in wages for the average earner is over $2,400 a year. And for the average family with two people working, that's almost $5,000 a year that just got taken from them through this hidden tax of inflation. EJ, can you explain to me, because Jerry and I got into this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before last. Um, I, I am, I am, and this is legitimate confusion on my part. This is not me sort of overstating it to make a case. But, you know, we hear about, you know, the, the numbers from the White House about full employment. We see, um, we see businesses that are closed on certain days because they can't get the help that they want. Um, I know where are, where are these workers? What is going on with with the labor economy right now? Ex- explain to me where the dis- where my disconnect is. Sure. Well, we have we have a lot of different factors at work, and just a couple days ago, after looking at these latest inflation numbers, first two days ago with the CPI, and then yesterday with the PPI, I was having a conversation with someone, and they described the labor market as very tight, and I said, no, I. I don't see this as a tight labor market at all. I see this as a desperate labor market. Yeah. I see this as a labor market where people are finally being dragged back to work because they can't afford necessities. I see people who were about to retire who now realize that whatever the magical number they had for their nest egg, say it was a million dollars, right, that they wanted to retire with, all of a sudden their financial advisors are redoing the calculations and telling them, hey, guess what? This is nowhere near going to be enough for you. You need significantly more. You can't retire right now. So we have factors like that at play. Uh, A really interesting series of studies, um, Casey Mulligan, a University of Chicago economics professor, uh, helped put together several of these. He's one of the best labor economists in the country. That's not an exaggeration. Uh, One of the things that is evident now is that drug overdoses and alcohol, so alcohol and drug addictions more broadly, during the pandemic are still having a pronounced effect on the labor market today. So if we look at the drop in labor market participation, and that's just a fancy way of saying basically the portion of the population who are actually either working or trying to find work right in the labor market, there's been a big gap between where we are now and where we were back in February, 2020. About a third of that gap is due to drug and alcohol abuse during the pandemic. So we had a uh, we had a twelve month period uh, in in the in the middle of the pandemic, first time in American history, unprecedented, where a hundred thousand adult Americans uh, overdose died. I mean, again, unprecedented. Ne- has never we've never had a twelve month period uh, where that number has has perished uh, in this way. And it's happening again. the The problem is 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 sticking with us. There is an there is a there is a young adult and and uh, uh, adult crisis where we're seeing uh, we're seeing overdose, alcohol abuse, uh, in 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 ways that this country has never witnessed before. Absolutely, and and not only did we have that spike during the pandemic, which by the way was closely correlated with how we were handing out unemployment bonuses. We were forcing people to stay home and then we were literally paying them more for not working 
Then they received while working. And each yeah. time those bonuses were taken away, the spike in deaths dropped, by the way. So it's pretty clear that we actually contributed to this problem with our public policy. But on top of that, not only did you sadly have so many people die from overdoses, but the lingering effects of the addictions that were created are still with us today. Sure. So now we are still struggling to fill jobs because we have people, for example, who are literally incapable of doing the work that they used to do because of those lingering effects of their addiction. Do we know how many people have have continued to, to give up searching for work? I know that's a weird way of putting it, but right, we have the folks who participate in the labor market. We have the folks who are searching for work. How many Americans have just given up and are dropped not out looking for work? It, it's a great question. Uh, it, there's a lot of different ways to measure it. Sure. Um, but, you know, basically, let's let's put a to, to put a number on it. Let's say it's roughly three million. What we're seeing now, though, is that as prices go up higher and higher and as inflation has not only continued to go up, but has accelerated the rate at which it's increasing is increasing. What we've seen is that that is slowly drawing people back into the labor market because, again, people are realizing they can't right. afford to live. Yeah. And if, if you look at savings, for example, savings exploded during the pandemic, sure. which in a lot of ways was a good sign. But what has happened since then? That's been wiped out. All yeah. those gains that we made are gone. And now if you, if you look at the latest uh, consumer credit report that the Federal Reserve produces, you see that revolving debt, that includes things like credit cards, for example, is exploding. Debt is going up by some of the fastest rates on record. Because again, when your real wages are dropping and you can't afford your necessities, what do you do? Yeah. Once you're through your savings, you go to debt. Sure. Yeah. And so, and, so, sorry, so EJ, ahead, let, me, let, let me ask this, because this shouldn't be a left or right analysis. Uh, mm -hmm. However, uh, there is very little um, popular reporting on this. Uh, what I mean by that is, is that, uh, you know, these are complex issues often, uh, but this is the, this is the role of, of the mainstream media, right? To, to take these complex issues, make them conversational so the American people can help understand. But when I watch cable news or even network news, or when I uh, am listening to my local news radio, uh, they're telling me that, that, that things are moving in the right direction. Yes, they will admit, Ooh, but inflation, right? Uh, but everything else is just, it's jolly. And I don't understand how, how they can get away with it. I mean, I, for, for, for a lack of a better way to ask this question, how are those reporting on the economy uh, from local radio and local, uh, local news to, to, to the national news, how are they getting away with, with just reporting nonsense? Well, I think the pithy answer is just that the mainstream media is no longer mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yes. But no, to go uh. to go a little bit more deeply, um, <laughs> someone told me not not that long ago, because we were talking about all like the stupid people that all, all but no, I shouldn't say stupid people, all the stupid things that people are still doing in response to COVID, even though it's been demonstrated. Yeah, they're so doing it again. A bad idea. So you're, you're, oh, 100%. Uh, Philadelphia, Don't mask mandates. Right, uh, exactly. Uh, a so, number of universities going back to mask mandates where uh, we've extended right this week, uh, the Health and Human Services uh, 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 has extended the uh, public health emergency until July. I, right? I, uh, I have to, I have to fly. In, I'm flying next week. I got an overnight trip next week and, and yeah. I, I was hoping I was going to be able to fly without a mask. No, no going. I'm sorry, EJ, go right ahead. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. 
Um, but it, it speaks to the fact, and this, is, this was the thought I had after that conversation, was that it's not that COVID showed us who is smart and who is not. What COVID showed us is who has critical thinking skills mm. and who does not. Because there are plenty of very, very intelligent people I know who still insist on wearing a mask virtually everywhere they go, oh, yeah. even though they've been vaccinated, you know, triple vaccinated, they've gotten all the boosters, blah, 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 right? And, and even though we knew, we actually knew very early on in the pandemic, in the middle of 2020, we knew that cloth masks were useless. But they useless. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the data was there. You, uh, Repeatedly, studies have shown it. And, and yet and, people still insist on it. People insist on masking children. They insist on vaccinating children. They insist on masks on airplanes and all of this other nonsense. And all you have to do is stop for a minute, ask some very simple questions, look at some very basic data and realize that what the talking heads on TV are telling you is utter garbage. And yet everyone seems incapable of that. It's astonishing. I was talking with um, uh, Eric Hargan this week. He's former uh, acting uh, director of the uh, HHS and then became a deputy director in, during the Trump administration. Anyway, long story short, I asked him this very question. I said, why? Why are we pushing the cloth masks? Uh, and, he, and he said, look, Jerry, it's very simple. Uh, first, he gave me the, the, the rundown of what you just said. He said the CDC has been desperate to find any study uh, to show that the cloth masks help and they've failed. There isn't one study. The CDC cannot cite one study uh, that shows cloth masks are effective. That said, he said, it's about politicians wanting to virtue signal and say they're doing something. He said, but even worse than that, uh, they, want to, uh, they want to exercise power. Uh, they, they want to make a mandate and have the people comply. It's about compliance. And I asked him, I said, well, when, when will the cloth mask mandates really end he said never he said they'll be with us forever especially in places like new york city philadelphia san francisco chicago california uh he said in in other states uh, there'll be a decision that we won't do it and you'll see america kind of red and blue will be those who are still undergoing restrictions uh that are self-imposed by by their political elites and other states where like iowa and Texas and Oklahoma and other states where they're just going to live free. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. The, uh, the government's own data, right? This isn't some like talking point out of a hackneyed right wing think tank. I mean, the government's own data shows that if you're on a plane, for example, the filtration and circulation of air is so good that you would need the person next to you to have COVID and be coughing and sneezing on you for over 50 hours for you to for you to actually get COVID from them. Now you may ask, okay, well, like, can you ever be on a plane with someone for 50 hours? The longest flight in the world, I believe, I think it's from Singapore to New York, and it's over 17 hours long. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So what what what's that? A third, a quarter of the amount of time you would need to actually right. be actively exposed to someone on an airplane. I mean, it's just absolute nonsense. But to your point, though, Jerry, on on when will these things end, uh, aside from, you know, people wanting to maintain power and influence and, and all of that, I think it's also just really important to follow the money. I mean, what happens when this state of emergency ends for different governmental organizations? Sure. That means they lose the emergency funding as well. Yeah, you're right. You're oh, absolutely stuff. You're 100 percent right. Let's, 
Let's let's shift gears, though, and let's talk about what's happening in America. Let's talk about the fecklessness of the Biden administration. I mean, EJ, if you were in charge today, how would you be getting a handle? I mean, let's set us maybe you don't want to set aside the energy economy because I think we all we can talk about that. But how would you get a handle on the consumer price index, the producer price index? Uh, How would you get a handle on these things? Well, I I think the key is that you have to address each of the causes of the problem. And there are two very distinct causes. There, on, on the one side, we have monetary issues. And on the other side, we have fiscal issues. So let, let's deal with the fiscal issues for, for a moment. We should not be surprised that we are where we are in a lot of ways, because the Biden administration literally campaigned on ending fossil fuels. Yes. So what did we think was going to happen <laughs> when they got into power? Yes. They have waged a war to end fossil fuels, literally beginning on day one, literally. So the fact that they are hamstringing production literally everywhere they can is not a surprise. And Econ 101 tells us, you don't need a PhD here, Econ 101 tells us that as you decrease supply, you put upward pressure on prices. And that's exactly what we've seen. So we need to get rid of the the war on domestic reliable energy production, that's coal, oil, and natural gas. We also need to reform our corporate tax code. We we need to accept the fact that corporations don't pay taxes, no matter what the rate is, only people pay taxes. So corporate taxes get passed on to shareholders, corporate taxes get passed on to customers, and corporate taxes get passed on to workers, people actually work for the corporation. When you have a corporate tax rate, it means shareholders receive fewer gains, it means customers have to pay higher prices, and it means employees receive lower wages. That's it. So we need to reform the tax code. We need to make it so that American energy producers can be the most competitive producers in the world. And that on top of our existing natural resources is just a complete formula. It is a formula for a complete win, I should say. I, I was so that's pulling, number one is the fiscal side. Well, I was, I was pulling up a chart uh, before we get to the uh, the monetary side. I was um, the RSC, the Republican Study Committee up in Congress, had put out a memo uh, in March uh, about the issues, and they had they they had managed to chart um, the correlation, let's say, between um, uh, each of the Biden administration's actions on energy and a commensurate rise in gas prices at the pump. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So it's not Putin's tax hike? Well, I mean, let's let's I mean, let's talk about that, right? I mean, before you get again, before you get to the monetary side of this, AJ, um, uh, talk about this <laughs> this gaslighting that's happening where they're, you know, we 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 can see at where inflation starts and they're looking at the the tail end of it. Talk about that. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I I saw a, a chart the other day. Someone I'm not on social media, but someone who was showed Good me this you. picture. And and it's a chart where there's a dotted line and you see basically consumer prices and producer prices. So that's retail and wholesale inflation. And you see that you know, they're, they're pretty low, they're mild. It's somewhat erratic, but there's no huge spike. There's no huge drop. And then there's this dotted line. And then they just start shooting skyward. And the caption on this is the dotted line is Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Oh, wait, it's Biden's inauguration. Yeah. So um, the idea here, that somehow this is a new phenomenon, it's just, I mean, it's, it's misguided at best and dishonest at worst. No, well, this is, this is the chart real quick. This is the chart from the Heritage Foundation itself that uh, that you're talking about here. Um, consumer price index. Those of you who are listening and not watching, 
on um, the consumer price index. We have a, a, a you know skyrocketing uh, after the Biden inauguration. Oh, in fact, I can I can even enlarge it there. Um, and then and then uh, um, in terms of the gas prices, I mean they they were they were going up from Biden's inauguration. Uh, they were just at about two dollars and fifty cents a gallon. Uh, they were just above three fifty. Uh, when when Russia invaded Ukraine and then they shot up a, a, another dollar, so um, it, clearly we we can we can see what happens here. Let me let me let me, let me ask you this because uh, on my radio show, uh, a lot of pushback that well the economy is just fine and this sort of thing, um, but then there's also a lot of discussion about uh, about spending and government spending and 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 uh, I'm based in Maryland and I my radio show is out of Baltimore. Uh, and a long story short, they just ended the uh, Maryland session and legislators are putting out their end of session reports. And I read a number of them and I'm appalled because every single legislator uh, is bragging and celebrating about the massive increase of government interference in the economy here in the state, but also uh, the uh, dramatic increase in public spending. I mean, it's 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 amazing to me that that there is no conversation about how the private sector uh, is allowed to operate or private actors and uh, can make choices and decisions. Everything's about about healthcare spending and more subsidies for energy uh, and all, and climate action bills and and pay and, and paid forced paid leave for even small businesses. My point is is that this is not just Maryland. This is the Democratic Party, uh, where where everything is about government interference and government spending. How do we get a hold of of the inflation problem? If so we that, can't that get a hold us. of the spending problem. Yeah, no, that so that brings us to the, the, the second problem, which is there you go. not only the bad fiscal policy, but it's a great segue into the bad monetary policy. So when we talk about inflation, uh, it's it's a little bit of a well, the term is misused. Let me put it that way. Oftentimes, because we very frequently talk about inflation as just anytime anything goes up in price, but that's really not what it is. Inflation is a monetary phenomenon, and it happens when you have, let's say, a certain amount of money and a certain amount of goods and services in the economy, and you increase the amount of money relative right. to the amount of goods and services. So now it, it's what they call too much money chasing too right. few goods. Yes. And what it does is it causes the price of everything to rise by roughly the same amount. So that's inflation. Obviously, that's not entirely what we're seeing right now, because you see energy prices going through the roof. You see housing prices not far behind, but those are rising much faster than, let's say, food has. Okay, so go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Andrew, please. No, no, no. I I was just going to ask. And the problem gets exacerbated when we have a situation where we have massive supply chain problems. So infusing large sums of cash into the economy when you don't when when you're already having problems getting goods, that just compounds the problem, doesn't it? Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, it was literally as if you were taking advice out of an econ textbook of what not to do. (laughs) We, We created money and sent out checks to people multiple times while also paying them to stay home and not work. So we paid them to stay home. We artificially reduced supply of goods and services while artificially increasing the supply of cash. So why should we be surprised that this was the result. Why on earth should we be surprised here? So 
this, this brings us to the reality, though, that only the Federal Reserve can cause inflation. I did not say price increases. I said inflation, okay. specifically inflation. The reason for that is because despite Congress's incredible ability to spend money, they can't create it. Only the Fed can create sure. money. So what happens when the Fed creates inflation is here is essentially how they do it. They purchase a government bond. They write the treasury a check or whomever they're buying the bond from, right? And you may ask, where does the money come from with which they wrote that check? Nowhere. It, is, it comes out of an account that doesn't exist. Wow. So they literally are creating money out of nothing, right? So what the Federal Reserve has done over the last two years is create an unprecedented amount of money and throw an unprecedented amount of liquidity at this economy. So again, this should not be a surprise. And for many of us, this was not a surprise to see double digit inflation where we are today. We are actually seeing inflation. I mean, it's, it, I, I laugh just because it's the alternative to crime. Yeah. Inflation, inflation today at a monthly rate is what it was at an annual rate when Joe Biden was inaugurated. In wow. other words, in other words, what it it took a year yeah. for prices wow. to rise a certain amount, and now it takes a month for prices so, to rise that so, same amount. That's uh, that's where we are today. So so, go ahead. Asking, uh, just uh, here's my disconnect, and and again, Andrew and I engage in in um, in conversations and on our radio programs and all the rest of it. And a lot of it is ideological. A lot of it has to do with, with government and, pol and politics and that sort of thing, partisanship. But there doesn't seem to be an other side to this. My, my disconnect is, is that when will, and again, you know, forgive the phrase, when will the grownups realize that the party is over or the, the, whatever this is, is over and we have to start because we're not going to solve this problem in a month or three months. It's going to take a year or years. Mm -hmm. when, when do Democrats and Republicans, liberals and conservatives, wrap their heads around the mess we've created and begin to fix it? Or when we tell them to do so. <laughs> so, so never. The, so the, never. For the, for right? the fiscal side, yeah. yeah. I mean, part part of the problem is the fact that Many of the people who make these decisions, and that I'm talking about the politicians and the voters, sure. many of the people who make these bad decisions do not suffer the ramifications of their own actions. That's, there you go. And it's not until that happens that things will change. So one, one very, again, another interesting conversation I was having yesterday, just yesterday is the white suburban women who voted for Biden are seeing every single day when they go out, whether it's grocery shopping or, or, or filling up the gas tank, whatever the case may be, they are seeing every single day these skyrocketing price increases. And there is a very good probability, again, I'm not a political scientist, I'm sure. a monetary scientist, so take it with a grain of salt, but there is a very good probability that those people will think twice before voting Democrat in the next election. You know, it, Why? I, because I, they're seeing the pain of their last choice. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. So, um, and this is anecdotal. But uh, but my mother-in-law voted for Joe Biden and she called my wife this week and was she's on a fixed income mm -hmm. and and she's making these choices. 
about grocery bills and whether or not she's going to fill the tank up. She's she's not coming, you know, to visit a long ride for Easter because of gas prices. Sure. She's making all of these hard choices about her life and she's seeing uh, the economic disaster. Uh, yet in the conversation, she has no, no, no um, recognition that it's Joe Biden's fault because she listens to, she watches The View, uh, she watches Good Morning America, she watches MSNBC, and she blames all of this, everything on on Vladimir Putin, everything. And by extension, I mean, Donald Trump, I'm sure, yeah. And by, yeah, yeah. well, because, you know, because, again, even that conversation, well, you know, uh, Putin did this because Trump allowed him to do it. Well, ma, it's two years. How? What? It, again, it's 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 this 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 disconnect with reason yeah. and rationality. I, I don't think you'll let DJ you'll let DJ without a without a question there, Jerry. I'm sorry. I, but I, I, I just I mean I, I I'm just you know uh, we uh, Fred Smith from CEI used to say this that he was a despairing optimist that he despairs because unfortunately people don't make decisions that are, that, that, uh, that, that's, that are rational. Yeah. They make their decisions on their emotions and their values. And it seems to me that there are too many Americans today uh, that their value system is very simple. And that is anything Trump is evil and wrong and ugly, and we can never do it again. And so the Democrats have to simply just say, well, you know, Putin invaded Russia, uh, uh, Ukraine, because of uh, his, you know, uh, he was a puppet of of, of Donald Trump. Uh, and that's why your life is miserable, miserable. And they're doing a good job because it's repeated. I mean, the, the Washington Post, and New York Times, E.J. Dion, who's a who's a liberal, honest liberal, has written, written columns on this. It's just it's insane. To me. Let me let me sort of bring it back here to, to sort of where we are and where we're going. Um, what does it look like, right? So, so we know that that Republicans. Let's assume Republicans do take both houses of Congress in, in you know in November and then take office in January. So that's still another seven months, eight months um, before there's any sort of adulting that that happens. Uh, I suspect that there's going to be more spending out of the federal government, more infusions of cash out of the federal government to consumers' hands to buy them off, um, and then even if the Republicans take over Congress in January. We still have another two years where the Biden administration can do a lot of stuff administratively. That's sort of my area of expertise, the regulatory state, the administrative state. So we're looking at at least three years until anything fundamentally really can change. What happens between now and then? What does America look like? What's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? What are you guys talking about over at Heritage about this? I'd really rather not go into the worst case scenario because <laughs> okay. it's just, um, it's just it's yeah, not I, I sell case. I sell my house and go move to an island somewhere. Yeah, worst case scenario, tune in Saturday. Uh, HBO is playing the final purge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, where where do we go from here? Well, you know, I, again, the. You know, thank thank God for for Joe Manchin, uh, you know, everyone's yeah. favorite Democrat at this point. Um, and I, I say that only half jokingly because I think he sure. is actually either him or Cinema is is literally the most popular Democrat in in Congress, if yeah. I remember correctly. Um, and a lot of it is because whether you're on the right or left, much of what this administration has tried to do is unpopular. That that's yeah. not me as a pundit speaking. That's just me at, 
looking at the data, sure. right? The polls tell us that much of this agenda is not popular and people do not support it, especially in today's current economic environment yeah. because of all the fallout that will come from these giant spending packages, the fallout that has already come from these giant spending packages. So how, how do we get ourselves back on track though? Well, hopefully we are not past the point of no return, right? We, we have been heading towards the falls and at some point, once the ship gets close enough to the waterfall, the momentum and the force of the water is just going to take you over and, and there's no way to stop it. Hopefully we are not there yet. There's no way to tell exactly where that is. And this country is a big old battleship and she takes a long time to change course, to change direction. But hopefully we can still do it. So with that being said, how do we do it? Well, we kind of already outlined the a lot of the fiscal policies, right? We need to reform taxes. We need to stop the war on energy. We need to massively, I mean, massively cut government spending. It is laughable, absolutely laughable, how much the budget has grown. And it is going to, to use the, the ship analogy again, it is eventually going to sink this ship if we don't cut it off sooner rather than later. Wait, the, the, Biden, other, the, the Biden administration tells us that they're cutting deficits. And the news media is telling us that, that, that this year's deficit is, is smaller than last year's deficits. How, I mean, isn't he riding the ship? Isn't Joe Biden a fiscal conservative with the, uh, with the, with the smalling, shrinking deficits? Andrew laughs. I'm well, it's, it's, my head. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to shrink the deficit when the deficit <laughs> when the deficit last year included multi-trillion dollar one-time spending oh, bills. So okay. All, all, you, right. all you have to do is literally and then, nothing. And yeah, sorry to interrupt, but, right, but this gets into what we talked about at the opening of our discussion, which is if more money is being spent, even though it's being spent on fewer goods, it makes it appear as though the economy is growing when in fact the economy is not growing, right? If, if, right. if and, GD- that's, and that's what yeah. we saw throughout the, entire, the entirety of 2021. Yeah. We saw what, right. what looked like economic growth, and now we're seeing the reality of it, which is yeah. just the fact that there's all this excess money sloshing around the system, and now it's time to pay the piper. EJ, EJ let, let me ask you this, because again, I'm stuck on it. The, and I am on social media, and I should get off social media because it drives me crazy. It makes me a curmudgeon. Uh, but the Democrats, the, uh, the, the DNC and the other, uh, you know, the political arm of the Democratic Party, uh, uh, puts out constant, constant propaganda. Uh, and, and then the news media reports it. And some of the propaganda is the economy is strong. We're, we've created more jobs. We're cutting deficits. But and I, and I, I asked that question because we know the answer. The answer is, is that the reason why the deficit is smaller this year is because we didn't spend trillions of dollars in, in COVID, yeah. uh, COVID intervention. Um, it's obvious. So I guess what I'm trying to wrap my head around is, is that they must just think we're stupid because they're 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 gaslighting us. They're telling us things that we know aren't true. And yet the news media repeats it Uh, again. I I challenge our listeners, go to CNN, MSNBC, uh, go to Network News, go and read The New York Times, The Washington Post and serious what used to be serious people, even serious liberals are now just parroting what the administration is putting out. Well, again, I, I think it's, it goes back to something we said earlier, which is not, it's not that the administration thinks we're stupid. It's that the administration recognizes that most people today do not have critical thinking skills. Yeah. And ah. that's in large part due to our, our failed education structure. Yeah, you're right. That you're we right. have in this country. 
But but you know it, it reminds me though of something that uh, Ronald Reagan said when he was running for his his first term, and he said a recession is when your neighbor loses their job. Right. A depression is when you lose yours, and a recovery is when Jimmy Carter loses his. <laughs> and the, the reason I bring that up, the reason I bring that up though, is because when you still have a job, when you can still afford all your basic necessities, and you're not having to make a decision between do I pay the rent? Do I pay for groceries? Do I pay for medication? Until you're in that boat, you will continue listening to those talking points if you don't have any critical thinking skills. But even when you don't have critical thinking skills, at some point, you have so much pain inflicted upon you that you do no longer that you no longer believe the narrative right. that everything is rosy. You no longer believe the, the mainstream media. And that's when people start turning it off. And I think we've actually already started to see that. I think that's part of the reason why a lot of these different media organizations' ratings have, have all but collapsed right. during Plus, the course of the Biden presidency. Listen, the, the CNN Plus story is it has it all. Listen, EJ, I think we're gonna we we can we can leave it there. Uh this was this was fantastic. Thank you so very much for for joining us today. My my pleasure, guys. I'd love to come back. We'd all love right. to we'd love to have you back. And now it's time for the bottom line. The bottom line. So yeah, Jerry, I, I was at the I was I filled up my car. Now, of course, I, I bought a, a a used car last year, almost nine months ago, eight, uh, eight, eight, ten months ago. Uh, it uses a lot more gas than my minivan does, and I sat there. I'm like, oh my god, we are at four. You know, I was yesterday. I was paying almost four dollars a gallon. I know it's been more. But it, it, it sunk in just how much money that is. And, and you're right, right? I mean, you know, your mother, your mother-in-law uh, coming down, they're still in Jersey, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was so, in Jersey. So now let's, let's I mean, I'm just, just thinking about this. Let's say that they're in a car that has a 15-gallon, I am going to do math on the air, 15-gallon tank uh, that they can go, uh, you know, we're talking, we're talking a huge chunk of money to go back and forth between New Jersey and, uh, and Montgomery County, Maryland. But the, but the funny thing is, is again, you, you, I'll say this and it, it might not be the best way to explain this, but um, so I, we, Eric and I had, we know someone who, who, uh, you know, several people, but one person in particular uh, who had an abortion. And um, this is a person who's in, today, very Christian in her outlook, um, uh, conservative even in her outlook. But she is a she is a diehard, vehement supporter of abortion rights. And there's a real disconnect between who she is and, and this position. But it makes perfect sense to me because she can never admit that what she did was wrong because sure. it's horrifying. There are so many Americans who have just bought this wrong idea uh, that corporations are evil, that Donald Trump. Uh, was a Satan, uh, that Republicans are evil, that they cannot, regardless of the evidence, cannot change their minds. They have well, one they, they, the point. They, let's no, no, go ahead. I mean, no, I was saying, they, 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 they have they, they've lost ears to hear. They've lost eyes to see. And they just have cold hearts, so to speak. And they some refuse it, to change their minds. Some of it comes down to what we've long talked about, which is the the issue of faith and, and you know, political belief is faith and, right. and as religion. And some of it has to do with this idea of they were they were they were told right, you know that you know it actually gets into something that, that Fred Smith, we've been talking about quite a bit today, 
uh, that Fred Smith talked about years ago about how he initially became a Democrat, right? Because it was if you were a conservative Republican, you were a racist. Heartless. In, you were heartless. Yeah. You, you were heartless. Yeah. And so you, you know, if you didn't want to do it, it's like it's like the the line from the producers. Uh, don't be stupid, be a smarty, come and join the Nazi party. The, you you go and you and you do these <laughs> things, you know, you know, Nazis are bad, Donald Trump isn't Nazis are bad and evil, Donald Trump is a Nazi, uh, therefore Donald Trump is right. bad and evil. And again, I'm not so and we're not so we're not in any way promoting Trump or Trumpism. It's just that he's become no, no, an excuse but, now. But let me let me finish my thought though, okay. which is to say that the vote against Trump was a vote against evil. Right. And so and you cannot be faced with the fact that maybe you were snookered, that that you were suckered into this this vote, that you were lied to, that you can't that you, in fact, were taken in by the lie that you were swindled by this guy um, who told you that that he was, you know, the no more mean tweets and everything is going to be, you know, peace, love and 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 Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Um, and so, you know, you, you got, you got taken in and, and yeah, I get this. I get why people don't want to, don't want to admit that they were wrong. They have to. And that's the wonderful thing about why we have secret ballots in America, why we should have secret ballots in America. Sure. Yeah. So that when, you know, that hopefully some of these folks who can turn around and go to the polls, uh, they will, uh, they will uh, vote differently. You were saying something, but listen, before EJ came on. Uh, we were talking about the bulwark and you were making a point and I rudely interrupted you No, no, because uh, we had to go to well, our guest. It's, again, the, the the context of this Florida bill, the what yeah. the left called don't say gay bill, what the right is calling the parental transparency bill. The the right started to use the term groom or grooming yes. for those who want to talk about sex and sexualize. Uh, sexualize our young kids and talk about sexual identity at early ages, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And it was very successful. Yes. I mean, it worked. The, 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 but now you're seeing uh, you're seeing a pushback that that this is uh, this is um, this is transphobia. This is homophobia. This is like uh, in the 1970s when if you were gay, you couldn't become a teacher. It's none of that. No, it's it's that the right actually used the uh, the the tools that the left uses. But yes, the thing is, is that I understand why the left would push back and say, ah, but it's the libertarians. It's the again, well, I, don't and the, consider, I don't consider the bulwark to be a libertarian publication. I I, um, I mean, I consider them to be, you know, non-conservative Republicans, um, but I don't I don't you know, I don't consider it the same as as reason well this this one this one particular guy this robert uh, trazinski whatever his name is yeah. is uh he's the editor of the symposium he's at the atlas foundation he's a libertarian libertarian sure, okay no, and I uh and what i didn't like about it was libertarians and i know were promoting this and saying yeah it's wrong to use the term groomer or grooming and then what's worse uh this same piece uh, went back to like 2014, 2016, and found instances where, uh, where, uh, where kind of fringe right wingers like uh, Pat Buchanan uh, and others like Pat Buchanan uh, uh, were sympathetic to Putin. So Pat Buchanan, about ten years ago, eight years ago, uh, talked about Putin and that he, and his stand on Christendom. And but today, because Pat Buchanan said that 10 years ago, that's evidence that today Republicans 
uh, are captured by Trump, which well, again, and, and, what a jump. Well, and this is and this is the, the greater problem, right? You know, as I as I sit here and I and I process this because I read this piece yesterday, and if it hadn't, you know, if I hadn't known where it was, I would have had where it was coming from reading it, and and it, because it was thoughtful and well researched, I would have had no problems putting it out. It was a piece uh, about the the lies that have been told by folks on both the left and the right when it comes to the Russian-Ukraine situation. Like a lot of the myths you and I have talked about over the last two months, a lot of the things that I've wrapped my head around, the Azov Brigade, I mean, you know, not to get down into the nitty-gritty about this, but the fact that it was in the bulwark made me pause in terms of A, talking about it, or B, promoting it. And like I wanted to go out and reach out to the author and say, hey, do you have this somewhere other you have this research right. somewhere other yeah. than the bulwark so that i can i can feel comfortable posting it because your bulwark imprimatur taints it as far as i'm concerned um because you know it it, it, it is not helpful that what you are saying is accurate but your affiliation with this entity uh makes it suspect in in the eyes of a lot of people that's a that's a problem um, and, and you're absolutely right. The Bulwark and the folks who run the Bulwark, Jonah Goldberg being a, a prime example, have gone out of their way, right? It's like other writers we know who go out of their way to try to alienate and ostracize and de-Trumpify Republicanism or conservatism or what have you. Sure. Um, and, and what it does is, uh, you know, it, it first of all, it's exactly what Putin wants. I mean, let's yeah, yeah. Not let's let, let's not right. find a point on it. Right. It is exactly what Vladimir Putin wants, but it's also what the Democrats want. And is it an interesting that what the Democrats want and what Vladimir Putin wants are the same thing? <laughs> yeah, um, that, that's the line of the show right there. That is, you. you're, you're hundred. You're, yes, yes, yeah. and amen. Um, yeah. So a, and and and, but, and again, it, it does bother me though that that former uh, 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 you know good thinkers. Is, uh, David French, uh, Bill Crystal, Jonah, Jonah Goldberg, Jonathan, Jonathan Last, others, uh, you know, have just for some reason, like Trump broke their minds. Well, and Trump broke a lot of people's uh, minds. And, and that's a, a, b- a big thing. Listen, yeah, I, 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 can I ask you a question, please? Why can't more people just be like us? And what I mean by that is <laughs> what I mean by they, that is, they weren't, is raised, that they weren't raised in the tri-state area. Jerry. You and I, you and I aren't like, you know, like big Trump fans. In fact, both of us, both of us, I think I've said, I think I've told you that if I knew Trump growing up, I would have punched him in the mouth. I mean, in the mouth. yes, of you know, course, many times I mean, but, but, so why can't why can't we understand that a lot of his policies were good? You know, how he took on the media was good. Uh, but then he also did, you know, person personality wise, uh, he did a lot of things that were bad and 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 separate the good from the bad. Just move forward. You know, but because I think I think some of it is, you know, you and I have have seen a lot of these things. <laughs> we've been involved in policy. We, we've we're 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 grown up in, in that way. Um, but I think some of it is also that that you and I have managed to keep ourselves out of some of this fray. I mean, me, yeah. I'm more involved in social media than you are. Uh, you, you, you can remove yourself from this. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, maybe it's just because we've been good just friends for so long. Me. We sort of reinforce this behavior in, in each I, I, other. I just, I, you know, I, I read David French now and I just, he's unrecognizable. I listen. I think that's actually the other line from the show, which is, why can't Andrew and Jerry openly wonder why can't people be more like us? Well, this is why we're saving the world, Jerry. We implore people to be more like us. Imagine Listen. if you and I were in charge for a week. 
Yes, we'd have it all wrapped up and done. I agree with you. Or at least, uh, we, we, you know, we, we, we'd build the foundation, right? That so others could yes. come and, and finish the house. But my goodness. Yes, we'd build the library and make sure that it had. Uh, and by the way, that was a good get. Our guest was, was really, was really thoughtful. That was great. Excellent guest. Hey, listen, before we go, um, I, I do want to say something uh, about the passing of Gilbert Gottfried. I do have a video. I'm not going to play it. I, I may link it later on. There was a really great video that he did. Um, uh, a fan of Gilbert Gottfried um, ha- was having a, a down day. Are you familiar with the, with the, the website Cameo, Jerry? Have you and I talked about this on the air before? You, you, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Cameo is a website where you can go and you can hire celebrities to send. Oh, yeah, sure, of course. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. I've yes, done yes, it, yes. it for my wife, did it for my brother. We did this once for, for, for Madeline for uh, her birthday. There you go. So um, that's right. And, and so somebody was having a down day. So they asked after the passing of Bob Saget and Norm Macdonald, they asked Gilbert to do a cameo recounting some of his stories with, with Gilbert and Norm and Gilbert Gottfried tells a story. Now Gilbert Gottfried was notoriously cheap and he would go out to lunch uh, <laughs> regularly with Norm Macdonald. I did Norm not know Macdonald, that. Norm Macdonald. That's oh, funny. you didn't know this? That's oh so yeah. Funny. yeah, yeah Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried. It was famous. I'm not going to pay for that. When he would go and stay in hotels, he would take whatever (laughs) freebies were inside the hotel room. And so at his apartment in New York, there are literally suitcases full of shampoo and soap. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. He would go and have lunch a couple of times a year with Norm MacDonald. And he would always make Norm MacDonald pick up the check. (laughs) So one day he's having lunch with Norm MacDonald and Norm MacDonald purposefully waits to put his credit card out. And they're looking at each other. And Norm's like, you know, Gilbert, I always, I always, <laughs> and Gilbert yeah. says, why break with tradition now? <laughs> why break? Why you know, break um, with tradition uh, now? Uh, he was the first comedian that uh, Erica and I went to go see a show. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he had, uh, and, and I, I was talking to Erica <laughs> about it, you know, my beautiful wife, Erica, I was talking to her about this the other day. And I was like, where, like, why did we go see Gilbert Gottfried, where was it? And for some reason, I want to, I want to, I want to say it was, uh, it was up in Jersey. Okay. Well, she said it was at the Improv in New York. I don't think it was at the Improv. I think it was Jersey, and it was at a, one of the colleges, like Rutgers sure. or or okay. something. He was doing a college tour. But I remember, he, I mean, you know, Eric and I have gone to see comedians, but he was the, he was our first comedian. Yeah. To go and watch it, it hilarious. And, and did you did you remember what impressions he did? Because I don't remember. Same, no. Oh my god! So listen, I I um I make no bones about this. In addition to the uh, Andrew and Jerry Save the World podcast, uh, there are three podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, one of them is Conan O'Brien needs a friend. I do enjoy that. One of them is a great podcast <laughs> called How Did This Get Made, uh, which is about bad movies and how they got made. <laughs> this is um, great. I love this. We should do a show on the podcasts that we sure. But but and we may listen and I may try to get somebody involved with Gilbert's podcast. So Gilbert, yeah, but I, you would appreciate this, Gary, because I've talked to you about this before. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried for many years did a podcast called Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, and it was all about the same kinds of stuff you and I talk about. I mean, it, it, some of it, the stuff we talk about on the phone, in New York City television, living in New York, oh my goodness, in New York. You know, he was a few years older than than you and me. Um, but a young man, he, uh, you know, 67 years well, old, only 67 when he passed. And and um, but, you know, growing up watching Channel 11 and Channel 9, WPX, you know, watching, W-R. The, 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 the watching the Honeymooners, watching WNEW. Yeah. And and 
So a lot of that, the he reinvigorated my interest and love for the Marx Brothers. I'm going to go back and I'll, I'll listen to these two if they're still available. They are. You know, uh, w- w- one thing that just to tell you about this man's heart, and we yeah. we, we didn't know him personally, um, but um, but uh, but we watched enough and listened enough to know that that he had a a, a sincere appreciation oh, yeah. for others, a great sense of humor. Uh, he knew who he was. Yes. Um, Although that voice was put on, you know, you, you, oh, have you ever heard his oh, real yeah. voice? No, I've heard his real voice. Absolutely. Anyway, so, but long story short, his last tweet was uh, defending Chris Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is cool. And, and, and well, defending Chris Rock, but also taking a, a swipe at Chris Rock. Right. Because he, 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 he said something about, I don't remember what it was, but he was defending Chris Rock, but he also said something about uh, Chris Rock making a joke, which was funny. Um, you know, and, and that was great. You know, go and watch the, there's a, a Gilbert Gottfried documentary. And I think it's just called Gilbert and it's brilliant and it's wonderful. Um, you know, yeah, we've, we've, uh, um, um, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm friends on Facebook with his co host. Um, Frank Santo Padre, my, my heart, and now actually Frank Verderosa, who was one of their producers. Um, my, my condolences, our condolences go out. I'm going to speak for you, Jerry, uh, to uh, uh, Dara Gottfried and, and Gilbert's uh, uh, kids um, and everybody associated with the podcast, their family, uh, uh, safe home, uh, Gilbert Gottfried. The world is a dimmer place uh, without yeah. you in it. Um, Jerry, I, uh, I am not doing this debate on Monday night. Uh, I have a scheduling conflict that is that has come up. Um, we have a special, we're going to have a special bonus episode coming up. Uh, I don't even think I've told you this. Uh, I'm having a conversation with Clay Jenkinson uh, this week. Uh, Clay Jenkinson, who's the nation's foremost Thomas Jefferson scholar. This week was Thomas Jefferson's 269th birthday, I think it was. Um, uh, I got to go to maybe 279th. So we're going to talk to talk to him. You know, it's uh, Jerry, interesting you got- when, when, when you talk to him, a couple of things, right? Um, well, find the truth, plant your feet. Oh, no, I haven't firm. gotten to that yet. All right. But, but, um, yeah. but I, want, I, want, I want to say this, um, that a lot, you know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about the 1619 Project, and I don't want yes. to get into this right now, and, and how it's just wrong in terms of the history, re- revisionist at best, uh, just plain wrong uh, at worst. Thomas Jefferson wrote, and the good thing about Thomas Jefferson is, is that we can go back and actually read what he wrote. Yes. And he lamented, complained about how the, the and again, he was a slaveholder, but he complained about how uh, Great Britain imposed slavery on the colonies. Yeah. And I find it very interesting because you don't hear about that very, very often. You don't hear about how um, the Constitution, for instance, uh, actually set a date uh, to end, make illegal uh, the international slave trade. Uh, you don't hear much about the 1787 uh, Northwest Ordinance uh, that for the first time uh, said this land, this part of the country will be forever free. Oh. My, my point is, is that we and I'd love to do this with you. I want to go back and, and Ben Franklin, the pod, uh, the, not the podcast the documentary has kind of um, uh, reawakened my my interest in the founding fathers. But we ought to go back, and I think you and I do uh, do a show on 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 slavery, on the sure. founders, and on this disconnect with American history uh, and, and the American founding. Uh, but the founders were very aware of what they were doing, uh, and oh, yeah. and 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 put in place mechanisms 
that would eventually undo slavery. Anyway, I, 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 I like to have this conversation with you. I, I, I think that's a great idea. And Jerry, it's a way that we can find the truth, right? Oh, yes. And plant your feet and stand firm. God bless <laughs> have you. A, have a great week. Happy everybody. Easter. Happy, happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. Uh, have a great week, uh, everybody. Have fun uh, and stay safe.